Well, thanks so much, George, for giving that recap. That was great. And uh, in a moment, I'm going to read through our passage for today in 1 Samuel 15. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to to turn there. Um, And also, I I just want to say, as you're getting your Bible out and turning there, um, I want to encourage you again. We we have lessons put out, life group lessons put out that you can get from our website or on our app for every passage that we go through. And I want to encourage you, if you're in a life group, definitely go through that lesson at some point this week. If you're not in a life group, go through that lesson at some point that, this week. Dig deeper into the passage and ask questions that help you dig deeper. Um, our family has just started doing this. My two oldest sons are doing it. My, my wife and I are doing it. Um, and Friday nights now at dinner, we just have a conversation about the passage. So I just want to invite you, as you engage with God's word on Sundays, take that next step and also engage with it during the week and even with other people in a discussion. And our passage for today is 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 17 through 23. And I'll read that for us now. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. This is God's word. And it's a passage that deals with questions surrounding obedience And that specifically brings up the idea that God is more interested in obedience than ritual. Obedience is central to our relationship with God. It's right at the core to the point that in Matthew 28 and the famous passage that we typically call the Great Commission where Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. He says, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. In 1 John 14, 15, Jesus said that if we love him, we will keep his commandments. Obedience is core to the Christian life. And this passage is about the idea that obedience is even more significant than ritual. And if you read the Old Testament, you know that there were a lot of rituals that we still don't have today. We don't offer animal sacrifices. We don't observe the dietary standards. We don't go and celebrate the same festivals that they all celebrated. There's a lot of rituals that they had that we don't have anymore. But I just want us to pause and ask a question. What are our rituals today? Because as Christians, 
We still kind of have them. Maybe our ritual is that we attend a church service once a week or at least a couple times a month. Maybe our ritual is that we read the Bible every day or our ritual is that we say a prayer or a certain kind of prayer every day. Maybe our ritual is that we give financially to a church. Maybe our ritual is that we always repost things on social media that have something to do with Jesus, especially when at the end of the post it says something like, repost, otherwise you don't love Jesus. Maybe part of our ritual is that there are certain things that we avoid. We avoid drinking or we avoid smoking or we avoid R-rated movies. Or maybe it even has to do with part of our ritual is that we vote for the correct political party. All of these things that I just named, they're not bad things. They even relate to our relationship with God, but they're all things that can become rituals to us. They're practices that without a spirit of connection to God, simply become rituals. And while, while none of those things that I just named are bad things, we have to ask the question, are we in danger of valuing those rituals more than obedience? And while I ask a question that we're going to come back to much later in the message, but I want you to be thinking about it as we get ready to engage with this passage. And the question is this, why is it tempting to put a bigger emphasis on ritual than on obedience? Why is it tempting to put a bigger emphasis on ritual than obedience? Now, our passage finds us in a situation where Saul, the king of Israel, is having a party. He's having a big festival. People are gathered around. In fact, it says earlier in the passage that he was making a monument for himself. Maybe there was a plaque. Maybe there was a statue. But what we do know is there was a lot of excitement. Saul was in a good mood. The people of Israel were in a good mood because they had just won a great military victory. So there was probably food, there was almost certainly wine, there was dancing and celebration. It was a big party and Saul was in a great mood. And then into the party comes the prophet Samuel. And as Saul looks at Samuel, he can see right away, Samuel doesn't look too good. Samuel looks tired, Samuel looks sleepy, Samuel looks like something the cat dragged in. And the reason why Samuel looks like this is because he's been up all night. He's been up all night because God spoke to him and said, I regret that I made Saul the king. And in response, Samuel cried out to God all night long because he was so troubled over what God said. Quick, by the way, on this, you might listen to that and say, God said he regretted. How, How can God regret anything? God is God. As Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10 says, he declares the end from the beginning. How can God possibly regret anything? What I want to say is there are some passages like this and even like going all the way back to the story of the flood where it talks about the idea of God regretting something. In the Bible, this is just a way of talking about how God is entering into the story, how God is engaging with us and talking to us in a way that we can understand. God says, I made Saul the king, but now... I'm going to put a new king on the throne. Now Saul is going to be done. So Samuel's been troubled. He hasn't got much sleep. He comes into the room where Saul is having this great festival and Saul immediately sees him and says, Samuel, great to see you. Come on in. By the way, Samuel, I did everything that the Lord commanded me to do. 
And so let's backtrack for a second. What is Saul talking about when he says, I did everything the Lord commanded me to do? He's talking about the fact that he went and fought a war with the Amalekites. And specifically, back in the first three verses of this chapter, God had come to Samuel, and then Samuel had relayed the message to Saul to say, go and utterly wipe out the Amalekites. The Amalekites had been consistent antagonists and enemies to the Israelites. In fact, when the Israelites had come out of Egypt, the Amalekites were the first nation to attack them and they attacked them in a, in a particularly cowardly way and they had just been constant antagonists. And God finally said, all right, enough is enough. Saul, I want you to take the armies of Israel and go utterly wipe them out. And not only utterly wipe them out, but Don't take anything for yourself. Don't leave anything alive. Completely wipe them out. Now now in a second, I'm going to get to the fact that this is a pretty troubling command to many of us. But first, I just want to say that there were two purposes for God giving this all-encompassing command. Um, The first purpose is this, and this is something that happened from time to time in the Old Testament. God didn't want this to be something where Israel was somehow benefiting from this military victory. They weren't going to be coming home with a whole bunch of spoil. They weren't going to be coming home with new people that they'd enslaved. They weren't going to benefit financially or monetarily from this military victory. That wasn't its purpose. And the reason that wasn't its purpose is because its purpose was for judgment. God is the judge. And, and th- man, this, this is a whole other sermon for a different time, one that we could spend lots of time on. But we read this and we think, that this is difficult. This is troubling. And maybe some of us want to say, well, that's just an Old Testament thing, that the God of the New Testament is different than the God of the Old Testament. No, the God of the New Testament is the God and Father of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ affirmed everything that we see in the Old Testament. This is not just something where it's a different God or now the people of God have evolved from this. This was God deciding to judge and God is the judge and he has the right to judge. And not only this, we, we should remember in this, God is a patient judge. If it was time, if the time had come for God to say, I am executing judgment on this nation, we know that wasn't something flippant because God shows a consistent patience with his judgment. In fact, in Genesis 15, there's a powerful passage where God is talking to Abraham and he's talking to Abraham about the fact that he's going to give Abraham's descendants this promised land. But he says, well, first you're going to go down to Egypt and then hundreds of years later, your people are going to come back. And he says, the reason this is going to happen is because the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full. In other words, what he's saying is you can't take the land yet because I'm going to be patient before I judge the inhabitants of the land. God is a patient God. In fact, this is what 2 Peter 3, 9 says and talking about the idea of Jesus' second coming and the final judgment. It says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God doesn't relish destruction but you better believe that God is the judge. And even though we might squirm a bit when we see that, it is good news that God is the judge because that means that justice reigns in the end. That means that all injustice will be punished because God is a judge, he's a patient judge, and he's a good judge. Saul says, I did everything that God commanded me but Samuel then responds and says, why is it then that I'm, I'm hearing sheep? Why is it then that I'm hearing cows? 
Saul had brought back some of the spoil instead of fully obeying the commands of the Lord. And that brings us up to our passage, which I read a little bit earlier. It brings us up to verse 17, where Samuel says this. Speaking to Saul, he says, Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites, wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? And it's powerful the way that Samuel starts off the speech because he's remembering, he's reminding Saul of his humble origins. He's saying, hey, remember Saul? Remember, you, you were nobody important. I mean, you, you were just a tall guy from the tribe of Benjamin. You were not somebody of great renown, but God plucked you from obscurity and made you the ruler of Israel. Why then did you not obey him? And, and it's easy to read this and think that what Samuel is saying is, God did this for you, so in response to pay him back, you should have done this for him. But I don't think that's quite the right way to read it. I think what Samuel is saying to Saul is, Saul, you have no excuse to doubt the goodness and trustworthiness of God. This disobedience reflects the fact that you don't trust God and you don't have any good reason not to trust God. Because remember, he plucked you from obscurity. He's been so good to you. He's given you a place of prominence, and yet you've disobeyed him. And it's worth just taking a moment for all of us to say, you know, like uh, all of us have different challenges. All of us have experienced difficulties and tragedies and setbacks and hard things in our lives. We all have. And at the same time, there's not a single one of us listening that if we pause to think about it, can really deny the extravagant ways that God has been good to us. We have no excuse not to trust God. He has been so good. He's been so kind. The air that we're breathing is part of his grace. The friends that we have are a gift from him. The food that we're able to eat is God's mercy to us. The times that he's chosen not to give us punishments for the many things that we've done is a show of God's grace and mercy. When we pause to think, we have no reason, we have no excuse to doubt the goodness of God. Saul had no excuse to doubt the goodness of God. And Samuel says, Saul, you know God is good. You know he's merciful. You know he's gracious. You know that he took you from obscurity and made you the king. Why did you disobey? And it's interesting to watch Saul's response because he, he kind of says he did obey and then he kind of admits that he didn't. In verse 20, he says, but I did obey the Lord. I went on a mis the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Achat, Agag, their king. So even right there, there's a contradiction. He's saying, I did completely destroy the Amalekites. And to prove it, I brought back one of the Amalekites who I didn't destroy. And maybe he brought back the king to be part of this monument, part of this festival that he's having, this party that he's having to celebrate himself after the military victory. And then listen to what he goes on to say in verse 21. He says, the soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Do you catch what Saul is saying here? Saul is saying, oh, the reason we brought back the animals is so that they can be sacrificed 
to God. So maybe we disobeyed, but we disobeyed because we were looking to do something good with the animals. God had the idea, completely wiped them out. But when we saw them, we said, we have a better idea than God does. God wants them all wiped out. We should take the very best ones and sacrifice them to God. Clearly, he would be happier with that than if they were all wiped out. Now, we'll, we'll address Samuel's response in a minute, but, but first, let, let's just take a pause. Um, Saul gives a response here to Samuel that, that sounds very spiritual. So it sounds very noble in his excuse for why he didn't follow the Lord's command. A few verses later in verse 24, after Samuel confronts Saul more harshly, Saul admits the real reason why they brought back the flocks. Um, in verse 24, it says, then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. Saul starts off and says, no, there was a good reason for this. We brought them back so we can sacrifice them to God. And then when pushed on it, he says, well, here's what happened. The men wanted to bring the animals back, and I was afraid to tell them no. Um, Saul does something here that, that man, it's, it's easy to pick on Saul. It's easy to rip on Saul, and Saul is absolutely in the wrong here. But, man, I feel like this is something that's so familiar to us. He starts off, he makes a noble excuse for his disobedience when the real reason was lurking behind. We did this so we could sacrifice something to the Lord. No, we really did this because I was afraid to displease the men, and so I gave in to them. Man, how many times do we use noble-sounding excuses for our disobedience? How many times do we lie and say, well, I had to lie. If I had told the truth, it would have hurt their feelings. Noble-sounding excuses. How many times do we say of our children, well, I, I didn't discipline my kids for that because I want them to know that they're loved. Or I had to make sure that we got our kids in all those activities, even if that meant that they weren't involved in church at all, because I got to make sure my kids don't miss out on anything. You know, when we don't discipline our kids and we tell ourselves the noble reason that we want them to know that they're loved, for the most part, it's really to know that we, we want to feel liked by our kids. And we use the noble reason to excuse the real reason. When we get our kids in a flurry of activities and we say, we, I've got to do this for my kids so that they experience the best, the real reason is usually that we're living vicariously through our kids and we have to feel like we're important. When we don't tell the truth to somebody else because we say it would hurt their feelings, Often the real reason why we don't tell the truth is because we're afraid of what would happen and we don't want to be disliked by them. Beware of noble sounding excuses for disobedience. We're all really good at this. Saul was really good at this. We all have the capability to talk ourselves into this. Um, and just as a side note, this, this actually relates to a saying that we have in our family. Um, that Karina and I will frequently say to the kids, you do not have a better idea than obedience. If we tell you to do something and somewhere along the way, you think, well, mom and dad said this, but if they really had the whole picture, they would rather me do this. We tell them, you don't have a better idea than obedience. If you think you do, come and ask us about it. You don't have a better idea than obedience. Your job is to obey. Saul here thinks that he has a better job, uh, a better idea than obedience. And Samuel right away smacks that down. And he smacks that down in verse 22 by saying, 
Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? And then he answers his own question with something that later Jesus would quote during his life. To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. Saul, you thought disobeying so that you had animals to sacrifice to God was the better thing to do. But Saul, I'm telling you right now, to obey is better than sacrifice. Obedience is better than ritual. In fact, listen to the strong words that Samuel says to him in verse 23. He says, for rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. He says, when you disobey God, when you rebel against God, it's like you're practicing divination, which has to do with the idea of trying to conjure God. It's like you have a crystal ball. It's like you have the Ouija board. It's like you have a seance. And it's like you have somebody that's trying to put you in touch with the divine. Practicing some sort of witchcraft, which ironically enough, towards the end of his life, Saul, because he wasn't hearing from God, went to a witch to try to get in touch with the spiritual. Samuel says, you know what? When you rebel, it's just like you're practicing divination. And when you're arrogant, which implies that's exactly what Saul was, when you're arrogant, it's just like idolatry. And the reason it's just like idolatry is because something else is now your God. Your own will, or maybe the fact that you need the men to be pleased with you, is now an idol. It's now more important than God. Idolatry and divination. Witchcraft and idolatry are paralleled with what to many of us might just seem like yeah, he, he just disobeyed. He just made another choice. This kind of rebellion is very, very serious. And so because of that, the end of verse 23, Samuel says, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. And I just want to make a note on this. When we think about idolatry and we think about divination, which he's saying that's what disobedience is like. There's something that both idolatry and divination have in common. And that's that they are both an attempt to control God. For the surrounding nations, when they bowed down and offered sacrifices to the different idols, it was in order to guarantee that they would get rain, in order to guarantee that they would have fertility or guarantee that they would win a battle. It was a way to try to control God and divination is a way of trying to control the divine, trying to get in touch with the spiritual and wrangle it for your own purposes. This is insightful when we come back to a question that I asked at the beginning. And that question was, why is ritual so tempting to us? Why is it so tempting to us to value the emphasis of ritual over obedience? And I think the main reason why it's so tempting to us is ritual is a way for us to look to control God and look to control what's going on around us. God values obedience more than he values ritual. But we're tempted to value ritual more because it's a way for us to be in control. Um, let, let me just give an illustration here of, uh, of how I believe that this, um, that this sometimes works. All right, so, so let's say a wife comes to her husband, and this is purely hypothetical. This is totally not based on a true story. Um, a wife comes to her husband and says, um, I really wish you helped out more around the house. 
Um, probably would never happen, right? There's probably no husband and wife that have had this interaction. Um, this is an incredibly frequent thing that happens between husbands and wives. The wife comes to the husband and says, I wish you helped out more around the house. Um, and usually in these cases, in my experience, the first response from the husband is, first of all, to get defensive and say, I help out plenty. But then after that, what often happens is the husband goes on a journey to try to figure out precisely, exactly what is being asked of him. The exact amount of housework or work with the kids or dropping the kids off at things or doing dishes or doing the vacuuming or putting the kids to bed or bath time, well, whatever it is, trying to figure out precisely what is being asked of me and what would qualify as me doing enough that my wife can no longer say, you're not helping out around the house. And I'll say, probably mixed in somewhere is the motive, just, just of trying to understand, trying to say, I really want to make sure I understand what's going on here. But usually the motive isn't that. Usually the motive isn't benign. Usually the motive is to say, I'm trying to figure out precisely what things I need to fulfill so that my wife will get off my back. I need to figure out exactly how much I need to do so that she will never again come to me and say, I feel like you need to help out more around the house. So, so often th this can actually be kind of appealing. This could be appealing to say, you know, all right, you, you need me to do dishes two days a week. I'll, I'll do dishes three days a week. As long as I know the rules, I'll go and do the vacuuming a couple days a week. All right, all right, every other week you do bath time, I do bedtime. All right, we, we figure all that out. We get all of the things lined up. And now I know exactly what is required of me. And if I do that, you can't bother me anymore about not doing the things that you want me to do around the house. Um, and also in my experience, when a husband goes on this quest to try to nail things down, um, it doesn't end up well. It doesn't end up with a wife who feels really happy about the situation because often what she's looking for more is the spirit of somebody who's going to be willing to help. She wants to know that later on, hey, it's, it's not your night. I know it's my night that, that I normally would give the kids the bath, but I'm really exhausted. Would you be willing to do that? And if he's going to respond with, nope, it's your night. I fulfilled my requirements. You can't say I haven't done enough. That's, that's not going to be a good place for their relationship. She's looking at the core of it, relationship, not just ritual. Even if she'd said, I wish you took me out on dates. I, I wish you were a bit more romantic. And then he came back to her and said, all right, well, how often do you need flowers? I mean, is, are we talking once a week here? Is once a month okay? Can I get by on four times a year? And with date nights, is it okay? I mean, are, are we talking about just dessert? Do we need a full dinner? Do we need a whole day? What, what is it precisely that you require of me in order to do this? That kind of attitude is not going to end well. That kind of attitude is emphasizing ritual over relationship. And Saul here is looking at the situation and saying, I have a perfectly valid excuse for doing what I did. I did what I did so that God would get more sacrifices because he's making the assumption I can buy God off and offset my disobedience with offering him sacrifices. And Samuel comes back with the powerful reality that to obey is better than sacrifice, that God values obedience more than he values ritual. And the reality for all of us is that God doesn't deeply desire for us to treat him as if he's somebody that we're trying to get off our backs. Jesus did not come and give his life and shed his blood for the world 
so that we could check some boxes and then be away from him. Jesus came so that we would have real life and real life is found in him. He is the bread of life and we experience real life when we're connected to him. And I want to say, if if you're listening to this and you're not a Christian, I, I, I really want to make sure that you get what is at the center of this message. What God is asking of you is not for you to do some religious things and then you're okay and God won't bother you anymore. God sent his son to reconcile you into the family, to make you new, to forgive you of all of your sins, not so that then you can walk away and be disconnected to God, but so that you can be connected with him forever. You are invited by faith to put your faith in Jesus Christ, not so that God gets off your back, but so that God is your father forever. And for those of us who are believers in Jesus, this means that Jesus' deepest desire for us is not that we check some boxes, that we read the Bible, that we prayed, that we attended church, that we did these different things and then Jesus leaves us alone. Jesus desires for us to walk with him in closeness. He desires obedience from us and not slavish obedience, but obedience that comes from trust of knowing that everywhere that he leads us is ultimately for our good. And let me just tell you, when, when you walk with Jesus in this way, um, it's scarier because it's less predictable and it's less in your control. It's harder because it requires more of you and more thought and more submission and more surrender, but it's also the only life that's really worth living. It's also the richest life because you're walking in connection and fellowship with the God who loves you so deeply. And when we do this, we experience God's great work. We're willing to follow wherever he leads, even when we can't objectively prove that he's leading us to do something. And and here's what I mean by this. Um, You know, it's some things for us as Christians, they are just objective. They're just on the table. They're in the Bible. It's very obvious. Um, If you right now are saying, hey, I know I'm good with God. I attend church. I give financially. um, I, I read my Bible. I pray. But you are sleeping with somebody who is not your husband or not your wife. You have your priorities reversed. You are not walking in fellowship with God. God desires obedience more than he desires sacrifice. Um, If you're stealing from your company right now, but you're assuaging your conscience because you're volunteering in some leadership position at the church, you, you have your priorities reversed. He desires obedience more than he desires sacrifice. If you're mistreating others, and this is one of the, one of the things, I mean, th- there were years and years and years that there were Christians in the United States who utterly dehumanized black people and then attended church services and probably assuaged their consciences, believing that sacrifice was more important than obedience. To obey is better than sacrifice. And so sometimes there's things in our lives that are just objective, that just clearly this is an area where I need to obey. But as you walk with Jesus, there's also areas where something isn't spelled out clearly in the Bible, but if you're just walking with Jesus, he's gonna call you to do certain things. There's going to be certain areas of obedience that he's going to call you to. And it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be adventurous. It's going to be a little bit scary. It's going to be a little bit harder. But these are the ways that God works profoundly in us. I'll I'll give you just, just a couple of everyday examples that have been deeply meaningful to me, especially over the last couple of years as I've looked to walk with Jesus in these ways. Um, Here's the thing that's not in the Bible, 
that frequently Jesus calls me to do. Um, when I'm in the car or when I'm exercising, I'm usually, I'm listening to podcasts or I'm listening to audiobooks. Um, and every so often, actually on a pretty regular basis, I feel like Jesus is saying to me, you know what, turn it off and just pray. Turn it off and just sort of be in my presence and enjoy that. You don't need to constantly have the noise, turn off the podcast, turn off the audiobook, turn off the radio and just pray and just be. Um, and there's a lot of times that I hear that and I kind of think like, all right, I mean, that, that's not in the Bible. I'm not sinning if I listen to something on the way in. And then I just pause and say, I, I, I need to trust here. God has shown me his goodness so many ways. I want to trust him. I want to shut off the podcast, shut off the audio book, shut off the, the radio and just pray and engage. That's obedience. Um, there, there's other times, one of the big areas of obedience for me in the ways that, that I feel like God leads me is God will lead me at different points to reach out to somebody. And I like a smooth, uninterrupted life. And so when I'm reaching out to somebody, either to say, hey, you're on my heart. Is there a way I can pray for you? Hey, how are you doing? Just, just to check in with somebody. There are times where I hesitate to do it because I know I might end up taking on a whole bunch of problems if this person pours out a whole bunch of problems to me when I get in touch with them but it's an act of obedience. And not one that I can open up to chapter and verse and say, clearly all Christians are called to do this. But when you're walking with Jesus, when you're experiencing real life, those are the acts of obedience that bring you into a position where you really get to experience God working in you and God working through you. God values obedience more than he values ritual. And let's not take the temptation to replace the joy that we get from walking with Jesus by just checking off some boxes. And let me call you, I feel like there's two big application points from this passage. And the first is real simple. Um, there may be some areas of clear disobedience in your life that you need to repent of. Um, that, that as I mentioned before, you may be looking at this and saying, all right, I'm, I, the, there's something that I'm doing. Um, whether it has to do with drinking, whether it has to do with sex, whether it has to do with money, there's something that you're doing that is just clear. There's no way around it. It's disobedience. You need to repent. And I invite you to repent. I invite you to turn from that, not so that you can then enter into slavish obedience to a distant master, but so that you can be freed up to walk with the one who is the bread of life, that you would be hungrier for him than whatever sin is giving you. To obey is better than sacrifice. Obedience is better than ritual. Take some time to consider if there's something going on in your life that you need to repent of. But here's the second application of this. The second application of this is that if we really want to walk in the joy of this, if we really want to experience the voice of God in our lives, then we have to put ourselves in a position where we're more likely to hear his voice. And usually the way we put ourselves in a position to be more likely to hear his voice is that we do some of those things that we talked about earlier. We read our Bibles, we pray, we attend a church service, we get in fellowship with other believers, we give financially so that we're stretched, we start to serve, we, we look at different bad habits in our lives and we start to eliminate them. We do these things and here's the difference. You're not doing these things so that you can get God off your back. This is the difference between the husband coming to his wife and saying, well, let's go out on date night because ne then next week you won't be able to berate me that I didn't take you out on a date. The difference between that and a husband coming to his wife and saying, I want to take you out on a date because I just want to be with you. I just want to experience life together. I want us to be connected deeply. 
if you're reading your Bible so that you can prove that you're okay with God, it's going to come up short. But if you're reading your Bible because you're saying to God, I want to hear your voice. I want to experience your presence. I want to know you more deeply and I want to be in fellowship with you. I want to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. I want to walk with you and experience all of the joy and the life that you have to offer me. You're going to be putting yourself in a position where you're going to hear Jesus' voice much more clearly in your life. It's going to be harder. It's going to be scarier. It's going to be more adventurous. But it's going to be way better than the payoff that you could ever get from any ritual. Let me go ahead and pray for us. Father, thank you so much that even in this passage from so long ago, in this passage that has weird and troubling elements to it, you give us a message that's so applicable to us today, that you value obedience more than you value ritual. And Father, we, we confess we're tempted to take the easy way out where we're tempted to settle for ritual and to settle for distance and to settle for appeasement. I pray that you break us of that. And I pray that by your kindness, that you draw us near to you so that we see that walking with you is so much better than just fulfilling some rituals. Remind us of your goodness and may we hear your voice and respond. I pray this in the name of our great Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Walk with him this week.